0: Good morning. It's lovely to be here this morning and to join with you, Father God. We thank you for this glorious day, a day which we get to gather and to sing your praise. May we never stop to to forget that you are God. May we never forget that. May we recognise that and and proclaim it as the truth that we serve a mighty God, a gracious God, and a loving God we pray that this morning we will hear from you. We pray that your spirit will be with us. And we pray that as we read about an encounter which your son had, that that encounter will be real for each one of us.
1: Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John at chapter 8, and it's verses 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Amen.
0: I love this passage. I love that Jesus forgives. In this case, when all the religious figures of the time Bring this woman forward in front of the crowd. We see that Jesus doesn't condemn her, but he forgives her. He takes this moment of complete disgrace and he turns it into an example where he can demonstrate his grace and his love. This morning, we're going to look at this passage in three sections. So if you like to know, like me, where you're going with a sermon... Don't worry, I'm not going to keep you here until 4 o'clock. We're going to look at it in three, these short 11 verses in three sections. A little bit of background with this passage is that um, some Bibles might have a little, a little footnote that says um, most ancient Greek manuscripts don't include this. But actually, lots of commentators um, have said that it fits completely in with the rest of of the gospel and in fact um, the whole theme just fits in with the rest of the chapter of the theme of judgment which will come later on in chapter 8 so just in case you wanted to know that I like to answer questions that like, might pop up when I'm reading so. so John's gospel is known as the spiritual gospel. John the beloved disciple being the author And the book of John starts with this significant proclamation that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and that goes back to Genesis. But here we have that word becoming flesh who has the power and the authority to forgive the sins of all, including the woman in question that we're looking at. So firstly, I'd like us to look at the body language which Jesus uses in this passage The way that we use our bodies to communicate messages is quite important. Something that I've learned over my time at the college is how to adjust my body and my body language to given situations. It does not look good to the lecturers if you're sitting with your arms crossed, looking like you would rather be somewhere else, when actually you're really interested in what they say. So I've been learning this. Do you want to be here? Yeah. So, the way um, we we move our bodies is different. And so, in this passage, there are three different body movements of Jesus that we're going to look at. In verse 2, when Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives, he sits among the people. This wasn't unusual for Jesus. He often sat among them. This shows that Christ gets in amongst the people to teach them about God. Jesus doesn't stand as a high priest would have, but instead he joins in conversation with them and builds relationships with them. When the religious leaders and the Pharisees come along to condemn this woman, Jesus stoops and then he starts writing in the dust. This may look like he has no interest in what they have to say. In fact, it takes prompting from them for Jesus to answer them what does this mean? there's huge symbolism here used by Jesus he looks like he's ignoring what they're saying It looks like he's paying no attention but in fact it's totally different Jesus isn't going to submit to the authorities who are going to condemn a woman he doesn't listen to what they're saying but instead he appears defiant and after that prompting he responds But then he goes back to doing what he was doing. Writing in the dust. What does that say about the sinless saviour to you? Jesus knew exactly what the woman had done. He knew everything. He knows everything. But he chooses not to go with the Pharisees. But instead, the saviour does the unthinkable. He does something out of the ordinary. And another body movement that Jesus does it's when he addresses the woman at the end of the passage he could have just ignored her, the situation's gone the Pharisees have left but instead he stands and he's straightforward with her and this is the first time that he addresses her throughout the whole passage and he meets her where she is And the position of standing here is used as a symbol of authority. So when he forgives her, it's an authority that she will truly know that she is forgiven. Jesus looks at her and he frees her from the condemnation put on her by others. She's no longer held by her sin, but she's been forgiven by the only one who has the authority and power to do so what ways do we use our body language to communicate a message do we do it in the right ways Jesus knew exactly what he was doing I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus was writing in the dust I don't think it's a coincidence that when he frees her he stands and he looks her in the eye Jesus was not only aware of the consequences of the way he acted on things but the way but the impact that they would have made And so the second thing I'd like to look at is the attitudes of others. I mean, there's so much going on in this passage. It's not a two-handed story within the gospel. This is a passage in which I think we can maybe all put ourselves in. I know that sometimes my my own life and my own attitude is not what it should be. It isn't always completely glorifying to God. And within this passage, there are times when we can look And maybe put yourself into the place of of one of the people in the passage. I wonder where you fit. Because I'm sure that each of us in this room would have felt at least like they were in one of the three positions I'm going to discuss. discuss. Um, So maybe you're in the position of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. So the Pharisees and religious leaders drag out this woman who's been caught in adultery to humiliate her. To prove that the law of Moses should be kept. But really, I don't think the woman was really a big concern for them. She was just a means to an end for them, for them to try and trap Jesus. They want Jesus to trip up. But to the people around, it looks like they want to uphold the law. But realistically, they're just following what they think is right. But clearly we see that Jesus isn't going to bite. But they want answers, so they refer to the law. So the law of Moses that they're talking about goes back to the law in Deuteronomy 22. But Jesus has come so that the old law can be fulfilled and a new law, a law of grace, set into motion. This trap for Jesus set out by the Pharisees. It wasn't going to work. They wanted him to say, don't stone her, so they could try and prove him to be a false prophet. (coughs) But instead, Jesus turns it back to them and turns it back to the crowd. And what about the crowd? Maybe you were in the position of the crowd. The crowd are ready to jump on board with this until they're challenged by Jesus to throw the first stone. Suddenly their attitude changes because of the challenge from Jesus. It's really easy to jump on a bandwagon to go with what the authorities suggest or to go with the crowd this would be a regular occurrence to the crowd people would have been called forth to stay in accordance with the law but this time it's different this man who's been sitting in their midst getting to know them having conversations with them tells them to go ahead and kill this woman they can throw the first stone it's strange how the passage informs us that no one does but instead from the oldest to the youngest they leave they take time to examine their hearts in the presence of Jesus and they work out that they've all sinned and therefore none of them have the right to condemn this woman they have nothing to hold against her because they've sinned themselves They aren't in any position to throw any stones. The accusers are forced to engage in some self-examination. And what about the woman? She's been dragged out in front of the crowd. She's been publicly humiliated. But instead of getting punished like the law says, she's forgiven. It's unbelievable to think how she must have been feeling this is public humiliation at its best she thinks that she's going to be stoned to death but Jesus forgives her she's facing an ultimately horrendous death a slow and very public death but instead the words and the actions of Jesus save her not only from death but they free her from her sin. Although the passage appears to have this woman at the centre, it goes much deeper than that. What is it like to feel forgiven? Our attitudes and actions change in that instant when we realise that Jesus is not only the one who can forgive, but he does. And so in our third section, we're going to look at the words of Jesus. Because just as Jesus is aware how he communicates with his body, he knows how to use his words. His words come with more than just a flash in the pan, but they have real meaning and depth. And so in verse 7, we read Jesus' words, like he who is without sin... Past the first stone. How this challenge is presented to the masses is the way in which it's presented to us. The crowd can only condemn this woman if they haven't sinned themselves, otherwise, they have no right to throw any stones. And as we read in the passage, it doesn't automatically kick in with the crowd, it takes a few moments. I guess what they say the older, the wiser. It's true because from the oldest to the youngest they start to recognise their own sin and they recognise that those seemingly simple words really hit home hard it eventually falters to the youngest and everyone's in recognition that no one is perfect who are they to accuse her when they have nothing to hold against her although their sins may not be the same consequences may well be and in the eyes of Jesus who poses this challenge they are they don't have a leg to stand on and so then Jesus says where are your accusers Jesus knew that no one would be able to stand against the challenge before and so in asking this woman he was proving the point that he knew what was going on Now I don't know about you but if I'd been publicly publicly humiliated and you hear Jesus say well throw the first stone I'd be kind of worried but Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen he knew that no one had a leg to stand on and no one could accuse her so then he sets the question to the woman he looks her in the eyes and he speaks to her, and after public humiliation and a worst-case scenario of potential death, she's looked at. Here we see the only one who can actually condemn this woman. He approaches her. "Have you ever been caught doing something that you shouldn't have? I have. I have a brother. My brother is almost 22. And my little brother and I, well, we used to fight a lot. We sometimes still have the occasional word. But I remember James telling my mum that, I can't even remember what it was, but I just remember the the look on my mum's face when she asked me if I'd been doing something naughty. And it was really hard to look my mum in the face because I knew that I'd done something wrong. And okay, so Mum wasn't going to put me outside and start throwing stones at me. She was going to ground me, which for me probably would have been a lot worse as a, a child or a young teenager. But still, the look, to look at my Mum and know that I'd done something wrong was so much, so horrible for me. I don't ever want to disappoint my parents. I'd rather Mum was angry. Like, I don't want the disappointed word. But here we see that Jesus looks at this woman and he directs a question to her. The sinless saviour shows compassion and grace here. And the final words of Jesus I want to look at are the words right at the end of this passage. Now go and leave your life of sin. How amazing is it that Jesus forgives? He is totally and completely in his right to condemn this woman he is completely within his right to hold against her sin against her but instead he forgives Jesus frees her not only from the situation but from the baggage and the weight of her sin he sets her apart and says now go while Jesus addressed this woman by looking her in the eye by standing to acknowledge her He frees her. Now, it would have been easy for Jesus to say something against her, but instead, it's different. And the freedom that we get to feel when Jesus sets us free is remarkable. It's like a massive weight being lifted off our shoulders. Because no matter if our sin is small or huge in our eyes, in the eyes of Christ, the price has been paid. He looks into our souls and sees the heart of the person. And within our heart he frees us. This woman was freed from her sin by the sinless Saviour, the Saviour in whom all hope is found. This passage is more than just saving this woman, but it's about changing attitudes and hearts of those around. And Jesus, who was at work then, is still at work within us today. Jesus finds us when we're lost. He opens our eyes when we're blind. He sets us free from our sin. He takes a moment of public disgrace and turns it in to this moment of grace. He saves us from death. He brings us to life. And he says, now go and leave your life of sin behind. pray together. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are a saviour who frees us. That you are a saviour who looks at the heart. And we pray this morning that as we think of your words, that they won't just be just words that we hear, but words that we feel. We pray, Jesus, that your name will be glorified as we think of all you have done for us, all you did for this woman. And we pray that we may live the way in which you would require us and want us to. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. At this point in our service, we're going to pray for others. Holy God, we thank you for our community. We thank you in the way in which we've been able to gather this morning to hear you. We pray, Jesus, that this will be an encounter with you. And we pray this morning, especially for Debbie, we thank you for this this step in her her journey with you. We pray, Jesus, that this morning she, she feels you, and she feels your spirit, and she's filled with your spirit. We also pray for Katrina. We pray that as well as conducting the service this morning, that she, she experiences you. And pray in this time that she can also have a, a rest, and that, that in that rest, in that still, and in that quiet, that she hears your voice and we pray for other people too in this fellowship this morning who are away on holiday or down at the baptism or people who can't make it out because of ill health we pray Jesus that this morning that they also will feel you that they also will know that you are with them God, we thank you for this church. God, I thank you for everything that this church has going on. We just pray that in this busy part of Glasgow, that your name is a name that is lifted high. We pray for people walking by the church this morning that have heard the music. And we pray that it just won't be a noise to them. But that Jesus, something of you rings out in that. And we pray, God, that that this is an experience for them. We pray for the service this evening. We pray as people gather this evening that your name will be glorified. And that people will experience your grace. We commit everything in our lives to you, God. Knowing that you are indeed God. And that you are in control. We pray this in the name of your precious and holy Son. Amen.